please open your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 18, this morning. Uh, we're beginning a brand new series. I'm so excited. Um, you've seen and heard a little bit about this, maybe through some of the um, promotion that Calvary has done and through social media and others. Maybe you've heard from me. We're beginning a brand new series. We're going to be studying the book of 1 Corinthians together for the weeks and months ahead. But we need to begin in Acts, Acts chapter 18. There's an importance to set the stage and the context for the book that we're going to be studying together, 1 Corinthians, okay? I'm going to explain it a little bit for you, and, and hopefully, in a way, God can use my feeble abilities of putting my verbs and nouns together and be able to speak clearly and articulate what uh, God has for us. Um, thank you in advance for your patience and your grace to me. I am excited about this study, um, and it would be um, wonderful for each one of us. Have you ever heard um, people, and maybe you have, and the question would be more, how many times have you heard people say something like this? I don't think the Bible is relevant for today. Show of hands, how many of you ever heard something like that from people before? Okay, great. Thank you for your honesty and help. I guessed that there would be a good amount of people that have heard the same thing. Maybe, don't raise your hand for this, maybe you're one of those individuals today. The Bible's got some good pointers, some decent principles, but it's not always relevant for the culture that we live in today. Well, I enjoy and relish in the fact of trying to show you, and I don't think I have to work very hard at that, that God's Word is indeed relevant throughout the ages. We don't have to work it to make it that way. And as we study the relevance of God's Scripture, you will see that this study particularly is going to be exceptionally relevant because of how very much like in first century Christianity, the very same human tendencies, temptations, and choices and options for lifestyles is the exact same thing that's going on today. Even for the church. That's you and me. God's people. Imagine, for a moment, a church this morning. Just imagine with me. Use your imagination. I'm not getting all mystical this morning, but just imagine with me. A church laden with divisions. Think of a church, uh, an imaginary church. Imagine a church this morning that, has, that is filled with leaders that are promoting themselves and their faithful followers against each other in the church, against others, pitting people against each other. Imagine, if you will, as absolutely crass as it sounds, imagine this morning a man having an illicit, scandalous affair with his mother and a congregation refusing to identify and discipline the individual for that act of sin. Imagine members boasting of their newfound freedom in Christ and thumbing their noses at other believers on the things that they now can do that is covered by the newfound liberty that they have in Christ, the freedom that they supposedly have in those acts. Imagine it's still the very same congregation, this, these, these Christians seeking to sue each other in courts outside of the church 
for matters in which they disagree and hold against each other. Members in the same congregation who did not believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ and of believers at the appointed time in the new bodies. Sounds like a pretty messed up congregation, doesn't it? Doesn't it? It does. It sounds like a mess. Sounds like something we shouldn't be talking about on Sunday morning. But strap in because for the next number of weeks and even months, we're going to be walking through 1 Corinthians and seeing that this church that we are imagining was identical to the church in Corinth. Christians in a mess. You see, 1 Corinthians addresses contemporary issues that we deal with today. They were issues that were contemporary to Christians then in Corinth as they are contemporary and relevant for issues that we face as a congregation today. And so, incredibly relevant and for the church today. In fact, most of the issues in, in, in the Corinthian church are, are issues that are, that are almost cookie-cutter the same that churches face today. And so we'll find subjects throughout 1 Corinthians at, like this and dealing with these things. We'll deal with things uh, with Christians dealing with the exaltation of the, um, of the human wisdom that's uh, philosophy, an area of philosophy. We'll deal with Christians exalting um, man and mankind above other things. That's dealing with humanism. We're going to deal with and work through and see how God expects Christians to deal with things um, like divisions amongst a congregation, whether it be between just two individuals or groups within a congregation. We're going to see and deal with see how God would have us deal in response to areas of sexual immorality, with insubordination to spiritual authority in the church, dealing with things like marriage and marital issues and love and relationships, dealing with with the state and life and a calling of singleness amongst God's people, dealing with divorce and marriage, drinking of alcoholic beverages, and even issues concerning feminism. So the exits are here, here, and here. If you need to leave now, I'm kidding. Please stay. This is God's word for us. We might have to, I don't know, wear some steel-toed shoes once in a while. Please understand that it is, it is through much prayer and it is through a lot of preparation and study. Praying together as pastors, your assistant pastor and myself, and even praying and thinking through this and preparing, it is with it really is, and I pray this continues. It is through great humility, love for God, and love for God's people, you all, that I plan to lead us through the study. And it'll be very humbling, and it'll be very difficult. But please understand, this is not a lorded over, but this is just as much for me as it is for you. And we need this. And so for those reasons, it's for reasons of, of personal growth with the Lord that I am truly excited to get into God's Word and to study these things together. 1 Corinthians has the answers to many basic moral problems facing our culture today. Basic moral problems that birth from a sinful culture today. 
and the church of Jesus Christ, his body, we, even as a local congregation, are not immune to facing the temptations to take on and adapt this counter-Christian culture that we are in the middle of. And so it is important for us to identify these things in our study through this book over the next many weeks together. Don't let that bore you. Don't let that scare you. But in our weeks ahead of studying through this this new series, I'm excited to get it into, um, you will see, I'm convinced that you will see that God expects counterculture Christianity from his congregation. This is God's expectation. This is God's will for you and me to go against the grain of culture, not for the purpose of look at us, but for the purpose of purity, holiness, and doxological God-centered worship from all areas of our lives as his church. May God be glorified in this. Now, although introductions can kind of be tedious and sound rather boring, can't they? I mean, when somebody says, now, for the introduction, you're going, okay, just get to the meat of it already, right? I beseech you, (laughs) I beg you this morning, that in a manner of introduction, and I've disguised introductions in a sermon title this morning called Surveying the Context, okay? Try to disguise it. Now I've blown it, all right? But in introductions this morning, it'll be very helpful, helpful for us to gain a foundational context to the book that we are about to study. Not the Bible as a whole, but particularly 1 Corinthians. It'll be very helpful It is essential for us to thoroughly understand and make the right sort of applications to understand how Paul is speaking in this book and what God wants. If we understand why it was written, who it was firstly written to, where the original readers lived in the culture that they lived in, so the historical, grammatical, all these different contexts is important for us to understand, and it will be very helpful for us to draw back on this information as we go through the study together, okay? So, as we survey, do a little surveying this morning, as we survey the context of this book, let's do so with the understanding that this will greatly help our understanding and our application of God's Word. So, there's two different things we could do this morning and in this study. One, we could just, I could just pour all sorts of intellectual detail about this book to you, and we can all leave with a gained and elevated understanding of 1 Corinthians, okay? And, and there can be much of that that could be good, but I want to see, and I think our purpose ought to be, anytime we study God's Word, is what is God saying to me, to us, that we need to do so that the Word is transforming us to think like God, to know Him more, and to live more obediently, okay? So we listen, we teach, we learn with the purpose of learning and applying God's Word. All simple truths. You know these things. Just reminders this morning, all right? I'd like to take you to the city of Corinth. I know you're in Acts chapter 18, 
But if you'll just mark that, and some of you may be blessed with a Bible that has some maps in the back of it. All right? So turn over to the maps for a second, and some of you might even have a study Bible or Bible that offers in the several pages of maps, there may be one in particular, that will note Paul's missionary journeys. Okay? So as you're turning very back to those colorful pages that you often don't go to, all right, look at those maps in there, and maybe one of those maps will note Paul's missionary journeys. Some of one map might be one of his journeys, yet anything, and so on and so forth. If you don't have one, that's okay. I'm going to try to walk you through, and you can picture some of these things, all right? Uh, if you don't have one of those maps, that's totally okay this morning, all right? If you look for the, Paul's missionary journeys, you're going to look at in the legend of your map for the one that will note Paul's second missionary journey. So if you've got a fancy um, map, kind of like I do, i got these nice, really cool squiggly lines. They're colored, and, and one represents the first missionary, the second one, journey. And you're going to look for the one in the second missionary journey. And if you follow the outline of that map, it's going to ping all these different locations that Paul went to and or stayed at for a period of time on his second missionary journey. All right? Now look over at the western, the northern western portion of the map in your Bible. And if you look over there, you're going to see way over on the, the west side, you're going to see the Adriatic Sea. You see that? And then over on the east side of that little, that, that large peninsula of land, you're going to see the Asian Sea on the east side. The west side, the, the Adriatic Sea. And in between those, you're going to see the, uh, way up in the northwest, you're going to see the, uh, the Macedonia, and then you're going to look down a little further, you're going to see Achaia coming down there. And then um, right before you get to um, um, the last portion down to the Mediterranean Sea, the last portion of land there. In between, there's a little, little tiny peninsula. Your maps are not going to be detailed enough to really pick out and to show you that there's this little four-mile-wide peninsula called the, the Isthmus of Corinth, okay? This is the, this is the little, um, little portion of land that connects these two portions, all right? And just to the west of that, do you see where it says Corinth in there? You see the location, the location of the city of Corinth. That's where I'd like to take us this morning. And I want to tell you a little bit about Corinth because this is the context of the culture in which the Christians that the Apostle Paul is writing to lived in. So it's helpful to understand Corinth a little bit, all right? So you kind of, you're looking in the right direction. You're looking over there where Corinth is, and just to the northeast of Corinth is, is this little isthmus, this, this, uh, this portion of land. This is one of the most strategic areas in all of Greece. Strategic for a number of areas. Primarily, it is strategic because of the commerce um, and, and, and the business <clears throat> um, success of the area. One, because in order to sail, to go from the east, over from the Asian Sea, over through the Adriatic Sea, to sail around that little land piece down there, to, to travel down over the south and to go back and north up over the west over there was a very treacherous way to travel. There were phrases coined within, throughout history, and I didn't, I didn't remember or note these down, but there are phrases that would imply things like this. Hey, before, for the, for the marine, um, uh, uh, the mariners and the sailors and, and those that would, sh that would travel around down that south portion and back, there were phrases that reminded them that, hey, before you travel, before you leave, go ahead and say goodbye to your family because you're probably not going to make it back. In some cases, it was the majority or at least 50% of all the merchants that would go around 
would never come back and you might not ever see that produce because of how treacherous the rocky um, um, and the weather and the water and the areas around that way. It's really interesting to study how commerce was affected and impacted because of that. So here's the key of Corinth and Isthmus, that little four-mile stretch of land. In time close to where, in first century Christianity, when Corinth is being written to, and that church in Corinth was there, and Paul's writing to them, they would take certain rollers, like logs and beams that would roll, and they would stretch this like a rail system across the land, and they would take ships, and they would bring them up on land, on the, on the east side or the west side, whichever way they were going to, and the ports at the head there, and they would roll the ships across land and then back into the water on the other side. Lives were saved. The items that they were shipping, the produce was able to last. And so this was a key central place in all of Greece right here in Corinth. It was a capital for commerce. It was the link between the Peloponnesian Peninsula that was down to the south where the weather was so treacherous and it was so difficult for the ships. Only four miles wide, this short little stretch of land. And we say only four miles, but to to take a ships on these rail systems across. Now today, man has cut a canal through there, a very narrow canal, and you would see pictures of the canal and how they can bring ships and boats through there as opposed to going around. They're a tugboat type of a situation. They would pull them through this area. Commerce was, was, was key in this area. Due to the central location, the city of Corinth quickly became a trading center a, a, a capital and a center for all trade for all of Greece and, and, and ports were, were established on each, either side of this. Another key factor to Corinth and the central. And, and you can only imagine with all the commerce, all the different people and the things that are brought to that location and that went through that location. Sports, if you're into sports this morning, any of the young people or adults or anybody else, the sports, you've been following football and anything else, and if you follow the Olympics, Right? And you think back and research back and trace back all the way back to these times. This was where, in Corinth, where the Isthmus, of, Isthmus Games brought athletes from all around the world, from different cultures, from different um, geographical locations, and the different um, nationalities and people that were brought together because of these great games. The education at Corinth, the education system at Corinth was 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 inbred as a melting pot from different cultures. Today we might re <coughs> refer to things like studying abroad for the purpose of gaining a, a, um, a diverse cultural perspective. Involved in the cultural system in Corinth at that time, you got that diversity of culture in Corinth. Speaking of their, their religion, very um, uh, uh, dark, lost, pagan religion in the, in the, in, in the, amongst the Greeks and what they celebrated there. The worship of Aphrodite and her fertility cult is what it really was. was he it heavily impacted the thinking and the morality of the Corinthians, those within Corinth and in the area. The temple of Aphrodite was located on the Acropolis. This was an Acropolis is a term referring to a high or, or raised up outcropping. And on top of that outcropping was the, the temple there on top of this Acropolis. And it became renowned throughout the Roman Empire for its um, 1,000 temple prostitutes. 
that, would, that, would, uh, that, that was there and that, that people would go to. And, and the act of soliciting the prostitution through this temple was, was seen and it was expected in the Corinthian culture as only another diverse form of worship. This was the culture that these Christians lived in and were around. Notorious for its immorality. Even a term was coined throughout, coined throughout history. to, um, and, and the term meant by definition to act as a Corinthian. And later this even carried the meaning and this phrase was used to define fornication. Because of the, uh, the, uh, of the uh, um, um, constant uh, cultural influence from the Corinthian practice in their worship. Many had been raised to believe, so even Christians, are, picture our long, young people living in that time. Um, Christians in that time were raised their children in a culture where the culture praised and celebrated and taught that sexual deviancy was only a form of worship and that, that it was expected and it was, it was to be praised. This is what culture was saying. Not much different than the culture we live in now. Even in our public educational school systems, you can think of even the, as we have a mature perspective and understanding of all ages in the congregation this morning, the things that are taught in the public school system of what is to be expected even at younger ages and should even be brought up and taught. Much like today, a reputation of Corinth eventually becoming the capital of the province of Achaia, it became the, air quotes, vanity fair of its time. This was Corinth. A little bit of an idea of Corinth. The ancient world. It was like the vanity fair of the ancient world and of that time. To make kind of a connection today, let me propose to you something like this. If you think of Las, uh, Las Vegas, Los Angeles, San Diego, Reno, Miami, and New York, all wrapped up in one city today, you might say it might be a representation secularly in a secular perspective of the Corinth of today. You consider the, the sinful lifestyle, the reputation, and the vanity fair. That's the idea of, 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 of the chasing after the temporal, grat, fleshly gratification of things that are sinful. This, all this, was the setting for Paul's instructional letter to the Corinthian believers in Corinth. Wow, what a messed up culture. Not all that different from today. Not all that worse or less worse than today, but comparable in a totally depraved culture. We need to talk about Paul's relationship and, and ministry to Corinth. And before we get into 1 Corinthians, before we even get into 1 Corinthians a whole lot, go back now to the Acts 18 where I was. You might have been looking at your maps and so on and so forth, but in, and in Acts chapter 18, we see Paul's original relationship and connection to Corinth. Okay, why he might be writing to them and so on and so forth. Just understand the culture that we're in here and the time frame of what's going on. 
Okay? I want you to meet me in Acts chapter 18. We're going to look at several verses, just highlight some verses through verses 1 through 18 to set up our context and set up our foundation for studying further in 1 Corinthians. <coughs> we find Paul's initial contact with Corinth in this passage in Acts 18. This is his second missionary journey. In Corinth, on his second journey, Paul met these wonderful, dear disciples of Jesus Christ, Aquila and his wife Priscilla. These wonderful, dear people, just like people that we have here in our congregation. Lay people. In fact, they were tent makers. They had um, employment, full-time employment in the world, and they were making tents. They were tent makers, and Paul, having a similar um, background and being a tent maker himself, he got together with them <coughs> um, and gained some employment connection and was able to take care of his needs by tent making with them. But these dearly beloved brethren, brother and sister in Christ, Aquila and Priscilla, were great people that saw the need for the spreading of the gospel. They supported the Apostle Paul and they worked together in many cases behind the scene. Later on, we see how they had great impact on influencing a great preacher, Apollos. We see that later as they moved over to Ephesians with the Apostle Paul. In Corinth, on this journey, he met these dear folks and he lived with them and worked at tent making with them. Look at verses 2 and 3. It says, And found a certain Jew named Aquilus, Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. See, they were forced out of Italy because of the religious persecution that was going on. And God, in his sovereign plan, placed them in this locale, that, this location, that the Apostle Paul would come into connection with them. So the text proves that and says that to us in verse 2, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews depart from Rome and came unto them. Verse 3 says, and because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought for by their occupation, they were tent makers. All while Paul was, was um, establishing and founding the Corinthian church, he was with these dear tent makers together, Aquila Priscilla, who loved God together, supported the Apostle Paul, and helped him in Paul's bivocational work and missionary work, establishing this church in Corinth. Paul was very busy during his time, not only with tent making, but in verse 4 we see that the Apostle Paul preached and reasoned in the synagogue on the Sabbath, on every Sabbath. Verse 4 says, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. He was busy about the Lord's business. He was busy in the area of missions and reasoning with these people in the synagogue. And eventually he was driven from preaching and reasoning in the synagogue, and he moved into the home of a proselyte named Justice, who lived near the synagogue. Look at verses 6 and 7. It says, And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean from henceforth. I will go unto the Gentiles. He moves on. The Lord is leading him elsewhere. And he departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshipped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. Yet another example, not to get too sidetracked this morning, of people just like in this congregation, that open up their homes and, and give of their time and their gifts and their abilities to be able to help those who are in full-time missionary status, pastoral work, 
that partners together with others, regular everyday Christians, being involved in the gospel work of Jesus Christ, as we see with Aquila, Priscilla, Justice, and others in his household. But Crispus, a leader of the synagogue, as we see in verse 8, and many Gentile Corinthians um, were converted after being um, uh, um, pushed out and Paul went to, to go live with justice, there were still those who were converted. Um, many Gentile Corinthians were converted. In verse 8 it says, The city of Corinth was, was truly being revealed as God's target for the gospel. Isn't it incredible that way? That would not always be our way of targeting. Let's see, let's find the most difficult place, the most godless place, the most difficult place to do ministry. That's the place we're going to go to. It may not always be our tendency or our desire, immediate desire to do that, but we see how God unveils his pan, er, plan and, and, and reveals how the gospel was targeted to be unfolded in this area and, and preached to these people. Soon Paul received a vision from the Lord. We see in verses 9, 10, and 11 of, of Acts chapter 18. He remained in the city for 18 months after this, a year and a half, and God continued to give him and, and shared with him in these passages a promise of protection, promise of protection during this time. The Jews brought Paul before Gallio, Roman proconsul of Achaia, they brought him before him. They were trying to accuse him of, uh, of speaking against, really, the culture and, and the government at that time. And they demanded that he be punished for his contentious teaching. May the Apostle Paul be punished for this teaching is what, he was, what they were bringing him for uh, before them. And Galileo, praise God, and God's leading and sovereign control even over secular leaders, saw their request as a Jewish dispute. Remember, at the time, the Romans gave room for any religious decisions to be made by the Jews, as opposed to anything other than like capital punishment and dealing with outside of religious matters. So he would wash his hands of this and refuse to be involved himself and allow the Gentile crowd to instead rough up Sothenes, the leader of the synagogue, and rough him up a little bit, who had replaced Crispus. We see this in verses 12 all the way down through 17. And so we find then now that after staying there for about a year and a half and establishing the church in Corinth and the believers that, that God had, had saved and brought together both Gentile and Jews and brought them together in Corinth, Peter left Corinth taking Priscilla and Aquila with him. Kind of a missions trip here, all right? Took them with them to Ephesus. So if you go back to your map and you trace all the different places that, that, that Paul had went to, you see he started obviously coming out of Jerusalem. He went all the way up around the, um, the, the east, the northeast, and then cut across um, the west, across the northern part along the land. You see that he went to Neapolis and, and, and down to Thessalonica and coming down southwestern to, um, to Berea. And then he came down to Athens and then in Corinth and he spent the time there. And we see eventually he crossed the water, water and sailed over to Ephesus where he is um, at, the, at the time of writing back to the Corinthian believers. Verse 18 says, And Paul after this tarried there yet a good while, and then took his leave of the brethren, and sailed thence into Syria, and with them Priscilla and Aquila, having shorn his, uh, his head in Sancria, for he had a vow. And the 19 says, And he came to Ephesus and left them there. But he himself 
entered into the synagogue and reasoned again with the Jews. So that's a very quick survey and fly over a little bit of the Apostle Paul and, and his interaction and how he came across in contact with Corinth and the believers there and even the establishing of the Corinthian church. He later, after, after returning to, to being in Ephesus, remained there um, for nearly three years. Then there's bad news that comes to the Apostle Paul about Corinth. Very bad news, heartbreaking news. And the church he established, an excitement in the middle of a secular culture, a counter-Christian culture in this church that he established and saw great things happening that he and Priscilla and Aquila were instrumental in helping establish. He got a report back. In fact, he got a report in, in, in really in two ways, I believe. One was a very informal personal report from an individual, and the other was from a more formal report, likely from the church. And so in his absence, the spiritual condition within the church began to deteriorate greatly. Remember all the things we were just talking about, imagining in a congregation or true of the Corinthian church. These are the things that are being relayed back to the Apostle Paul. And he likely received reports about this from um, some of the very same co-laborers that he served with in establishing this church. Now are reporting back to him this horrible, heartbreaking report of the condition of the church. From members of Chloe's house and in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 11. Ah, we got into 1 Corinthians, right? In that portion of that scripture, um, Paul identifies in a letter here, um, and Paul, Paul later learned that the church in Corinth had split into factions. Um, and, and he also received a letter from the Corinthians asking, not only, so a portion of 1 Corinthians is addressing the reports that he heard that he believed were founded and came from multiple sources. But then there's another portion of the letter that we're going to see in, in months to come that is Paul answering questions that likely the church had written to him asking about. This is primarily in the area of the bodily resurrection, the doubt concerning that area, as well as some other um, important topics. So only four years prior to writing a letter, we now know as 1 Corinthians, Paul had spent 18 months in Corinth. So he was intimately familiar with the congregation there. He was intimately familiar with the Christians and the people in this church as well as aware and very knowledgeable of the culture's non-Christian influence to Christians in the area. So we'll end with a little bit of the importance, a little bit of a continued teaser and some application yet even for this morning on the things we've learned so far. The message of 1 Corinthians greatly consists of a call to holiness. 1 Corinthians is a call for the church to wake up and to work towards holiness and righteousness in our living dealings, both personal and corporate together. This book sheds light on the organization and the functioning of the local New Testament church, and even in the actions taken to maintain a congregation's purity before God. This book is a paradigm for urban ministry. This is a, a, a paradigm, being an, being an example, being a template for us to follow, to learn from, to be a pattern for urban, secular, culture, ministry. That is the ministry of Calvary Baptist Church. 
We are in an urban, secular culture. This book is an exhortation, encouragement to godly living. The church at Corinth was guilty of carnal, that's worldly or fleshly living, which ought not to be the pattern. It ought not to be the reality of the church. A church should never take on the worldly pattern of living. Someone has once said this, the Corinthian church had to be in the world, but at Corinth the world had slipped into the church, and this should never be. God forbid would be the words of the Apostle Paul. May it never be. This book demonstrates the power of the gospel to change lives, and this is the Wonderful hope this morning. Dear friends, understand this. As much as a call to holiness and right practice of the church, this book demonstrates the magnificent power of the gospel of Jesus Christ that transforms the vilest of lives. The gospel of Jesus Christ is seen clearly throughout this book, and we will see that time and time and time again. Christ can reach any man. Christ can reach any woman no matter their educational knowledge and ability, no matter their social status in culture, no matter their, their moral condition in life, Jesus Christ can transform sinners into a new creation through the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Christ changes lives through the power of the gospel. And we're going to see that theme continued out through 1 Corinthians. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news, and the good news is all about the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, man's lost state, and God providing an answer and a, 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 a resolution to man's lost state. We were all born sinners, and God sent Jesus to, instead of us getting the deserving penalty of death, Jesus taking on the sin of the world, dying on the cross, shedding his blood for the cleansing of all sin, for those who repent of their sin, turn to Jesus Christ for salvation, trust in him completely, and are made new creations are born again, spiritually speaking. This is what's offered in the gospel. Christ is in the business of changing lives. Amen. Have you this morning, maybe you're here this morning, you stumbled in here, oh, I didn't know a new series was going to start. I didn't know we were talking about 1 Corinthians. This sounds like a lot of heavy stuff. It's very revealing of my life, maybe some think. Maybe this morning you may consider, you know, I've, I've made a mess of my life. I've made a real Corinthian of my life. Understand that Jesus has come to save lost sinners. And it is through His forgiveness because of God's love that even the vilest of sinner has a hope of salvation freely offered to them. Jesus has come to save sinners. So, how do you make application from a surveying message that sets up the foundation for a series to come? Well, that's the challenge that a pastor has. Let me offer you a number of things this morning as we close. Christians, Corinth was a large international metropolis filled with people from varying backgrounds. Corinthian culture contained 
many temptation for Christians. Many different temptations. Not much different than the world we live in now. Many different temptations for Christians that offered and even championed unending opportunities to engage in sinful behavior without apparent consequences for that behavior. Our culture today tells us you can live like the world, dress up and clean up and be church on Sunday and go back to living like the world and expect God to bless us anyways. This is the cultural's sinful mindset. We are called to live righteous and holy, inside and out, and that is counterculture Christianity. And so God gives us a playbook that is filled with the hope of the gospel of salvation on how we are to live in a way that brings God all the glory as a congregation in the middle of this culture. That is exciting stuff because it is by God's grace that we can accomplish these things together as a church. Such a community in Corinth had a negative influence on the Corinthian church. But notice something. Let me give you a little bit of, a, 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 of an insight on something we'll continue to see throughout 1 Corinthians. Notice how Paul's instruction was not to retreat from the culture. Rather, we are directed to shine our light in the darkness of this culture right now by worshiping together in a unified community, congregation that is accountable to each other. That is what Paul calls us to do in the middle of a culture that would normally cause Christians to say, yuck, let's get away. How will you pursue purity will be the question in weeks to come. Let me submit that to you as a question in the days to come this week, in the hours to come, in the moments to come. When we dismiss you and we walk out of this building together, How will you as a Christian pursue purity? How will you help others pursue purity and holiness? Remember, God tells us this in his word. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. May we together, in the weeks to come, may we together realize, may we together understand, may we together apply this letter, 1 Corinthians, God's Word, and the call that it has for us to live counter-culture Christianity. May God bless us, and may God enable us. Father in heaven, as we close this time together as we are on the brink of studying a tremendous book in the Bible. I pray that you would do a great work in this congregation. May we never find ourselves saying, yeah, we're pretty good. May we instead see that we need to grow. 
that we need to constantly be alert to discerning the difference between culture and Christianity. May we see that we, in our living holy and righteous lives and seeking to help each other maintain purity within the congregation, that this world will be impacted. Lost people will be saved through the power of the gospel. May you be glorified, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.